Welcome to the Waste Not Want Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild our relationship with nature, revitalizing our natural resources by minimizing waste and maximizing human potential. I trust you'll discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future that you can then cultivate and transform to suit your own lifestyle so we can collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. The podcast is available on all the major platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio and my own YouTube channel. So make sure you subscribe or follow on your preferred one so you don't miss any future episodes. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philipparos.com. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. And don't be shy about commenting and submitting a review. Hello, Wispbusters. Welcome to episode 15. With the equinox and full moon under our belt, the energy influencing us now is all about boldly making the changes we want to see. Something my guest Joanna Penn did nearly 15 years ago after reaching a tipping point in her life when her job became a daily grind. Propelled by a desire to create a life full of opportunities to write and travel, she set about implementing the small changes she needed to make her dream a reality. The idea of reaching to the moon to accomplish something seemingly impossible is the same ethos behind the annual global prestigious Earthshot Prize, where the focus is on encouraging solutions to challenges around repairing the planet. This year, Aotearoa Food Rescue Alliance have been nominated in the Build a Waste-Free World category. And I'll be talking to Gareth Hughes from the organisation about the work they're doing in a couple of weeks' time. One solution to the challenge facing our oceans is to stop bottom trawling because it's destroying the deep sea coral forests that actually provide the habitat for sea life to sustain a healthy ocean. New Zealand is the only country bottom trawling in high seas of the South Pacific. We have six trawl ships with permits, all owned by companies who have recent convictions for illegal trawling. Your help to defend the deep will be much appreciated and you'll find the petition in the show notes. Overfishing, plastic pollution, dumping of land sediments and warming waters are just some of the activities disrupting the ocean's ecosystem. They're all factors that are impacting the Buddhist whale found in the Hauraki Gulf region here in New Zealand. Once again, your help is needed to create a protected area so we can help look after the 135 believed to be left. The petition is also in the show notes. Across the ditch, one of the world's leading coral reef scientists is claiming the sixth mass coral bleaching event is occurring along the Great Barrier Reef because of rising water temperatures. Talking of rising temperatures, there's been an unprecedented heat wave at both poles. In the last week, Antarctica reached 40 degrees Celsius above normal and the Arctic hitting 30 degrees above its usual levels. Both clear warnings of disruption of the Earth's climate systems. There is some extra special news in Antarctica though. A thriving microbial community has come to light beneath the Ross Ice Shelf in Antarctica. The food webs are built on inorganic nitrogen and sulphur compounds which provide a chemical energy that fixes dissolved carbon dioxide into complex organic molecules and biomass which in turn fuel this underwater world. Why is it special? 
Well, the ice shelf is named after my great-great-great-grandfather, Sir James Clark Ross, who discovered the region in 1841. And he hinted at microscopic life beneath the ice back in his journals all that time ago. Not so good news is the unfathomable decision that came out of the UN negotiations that went on last week to create a treaty for the high seas. I can't find any explanation anywhere. It looks like they just ran out of time to talk about it instead of just making a pledge to actually do something. Watch this space as they're supposed to reconvene before the end of the year. Best they get a bloody move on or they'll never reach their goal to protect a third of our oceans by 2030. This is all proof we can't leave it to others. So here's something everyone can do this coming Saturday 26th of March at 8.30pm where everyone all over the world can join in. It's an event called Earth Hour, started in Sydney 15 years ago, to raise awareness of the issues facing our collective home, Mother Earth. Everyone turns their lights off for an hour as a symbol of solidarity. You don't have to stop there though. Use the time to make a pact with yourself to regularly do something like eat more sustainably, waste less food, lower the level of plastics you use, consciously conserve power, Look at ways to save water. Honour outdoor spaces by ensuring you leave no trace of your being there. Be a conscious consumer. Travel responsibly. Carpool or cycle. Share information like this podcast with your networks. Step up and volunteer your time and or money to an organisation that's dear to you. Remember, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Now it's time to introduce my gorgeous guest this week, Joanna Penn a fiction and non-fiction writer and fellow podcaster with a passion to help people develop their own creativity and share it with the world. Her insatiable appetite for learning supported her journey through unknown territory, allowing her to discover ways she could combine her passion for writing, love of travel, theology, archaeology and her business acumen to create a unique, thriving, sustainable evergreen company where she's now respected worldwide for her knowledge and literary works. We recorded the interview three weeks ago, so my reference to this being my 12th episode is a tad out, but you'll get the gist of why I mention it when you hear my introduction. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you so much for joining me from the other side of the world. Oh, thanks for having me, Philippa. It's good to be here. Well, it's um, an extra privilege because I'm only on my um, 12th episode and you have just published your 605th podcast, I believe. Yeah, I know. It's but you know how it goes. You do one thing after another, and then suddenly, like twelve years has passed, and and you've got all the stuff. And I think, well, as you're finding as well, talking to people and learning things, and it's interesting. I think podcasting can be one of those creative uh, things that also help with marketing, but they also help people. And so, yeah, I, I really find podcasting is one of those things that can change your life a bit, like writing a book or any of those uh, sort of creative tasks. I think people go into it for one reason and then it turns into something completely different yeah one of the reasons I started it was because there's so much energy going on in the outside world and people complaining and things and I wanted to make a positive contribution and um, I know so many wonderful people and so many people have influenced me I just thought you know people on your back back doorstep as well as people the other side of the world and I just wanted to bring it together and I just love connecting with people and sharing information so it's going from strength to strength and I'm loving it it was a bit of a nightmare learning all the technology to begin with but I'm a dab hand at it all now 
<laughs> yes, well, like anything, once you've done it once or 10 times, then, <laughs> then you, you pretty much uh, know how to do it. So, yeah. And also, I think learning new skills as technology changes, that's really important thing for people to do and not just to think, well, uh, it's too complicated because, as you found, there's so many tutorials online. There's so much help. And and then we can pay it forward uh, as well. So hopefully you'll also inspire other people to podcast uh, in the same way that my show has <laughs> over yeah, the last 12 years. <laughs> well, you definitely inspired me to start it. And I kind of role modeled on your on your podcast. So I'm sure you'll see some similarities into the intros and outros and things like that. But it's a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. So did you always aspire to be a writer or did you have some other dream vocation? Uh, I think I was always just a very studious child. And so I re I've always loved learning and reading. So like something to do with books was always part of what I wanted to be. I guess I just didn't know how that might happen when I was younger. I definitely wanted to be an archaeologist. Like <laughs> I wanted to be uh, an Egyptologist and I used to get all the coloring books with ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics and stuff like that. And I have traveled in Egypt and obviously I've written about it in some of my fiction. And so I, I always wanted to have some kind of study and some kind of historical aspect and then I, I think you know when I was uh, as, you, as you know sort of it wasn't easy to be a writer back in the day and yeah. the you know the business models weren't really there and um, I was raised by a wonderful single mum and our focus was always you know making enough money to pay the bills and so yeah. I definitely had in my mind from a young age that I wanted to make my own money and that I wanted to not you know be on benefit or you know and obviously there's nothing wrong with that but I was like right from the beginning I thought I have to be financially independent and that's what I was taught by my mum and I got all my exams and my degrees and I did all the right things and I went to be a consultant and I did earn that money I earned really good money but then as so often happens in your early mid-30s and I was like whoa what just happened I've got this job I, they pay me really well and I hate it um what is going on here and it, there's, there's that moment when you sort of look up and realize that the money isn't everything and that's when I decided to be a writer uh, I was in New Zealand at the time sort of 2005 2006 and that's when I started writing and that was before self-publishing really came along and, uh, but it was self-publishing and the possibilities of digital that really helped me see that I could be a full-time writer so yeah it's been a, it's been a long way but when I looked at what I wanted to do with my life it was to do with books and it was to do with travel and so writing is just a wonderful career um, once you sort out the business model so now I'm happy to say I, I make really good money as a writer <laughs> and I get to do what I love well, that is a huge part of it. And I think one of the things that really strikes me to be able to share with the audience is that people can look at you and think, you know, you've got a really successful business, but it's recognizing the hard grind and the determination behind it because it didn't happen overnight. It was a lot of stages that you took to actually become a full time writer. Is that right? Yes, um, although I, I think the word grind is difficult um, because I feel like my previous day job was a grind, yeah. as in I was unhappy doing that. I think there's a difference between hard work in something you believe in, like your mission with this podcast and your your belief in, you know, waste not, want not and all of that. When you have a mission 
or a passion and a passion perhaps uh, that sustains you through hard work so I absolutely work hard I'm I but I like working hard towards creating things in the world um, so I don't really feel it is a grind but you know my previous job was a grind because yeah. it, it I, I was not doing anything creative I it, I just didn't see the point so yes it's been um, hard work uh, you certainly have to put the hours in. But then I always say this to people, like people ex- seem to expect that you can write, you know, your first book uh, or put out your first podcast episode and suddenly you will just attract a ton of traffic, a ton of money, a ton of people. And they, they just like, oh, you know, it will just happen. But if you take any jobs, so if you take all of these things as a, a job, how much money is someone worth in year one? Like in year one of any job, whatever yeah. you do, whatever that job is in year one, you're you're not very useful you know you're really just learning things and then by year three you know a few things they might pay you a bit more by year five you know better year 10 yeah. better and I'm at now what year 15 or something as a writer and mm. so it, it makes more sense that at 15 years at 37 books or whatever I have that actually I would have <laughs> a career but I certainly back I what I, I want to encourage people is I didn't know that back in 2005 2006 all I knew was I need to start writing something and then you just take the next what is the next step uh the next little step in one direction and then as we said around podcasting it's the same thing you you look up a decade or so in the future and you're like wow okay that led to some unexpected things but you every day you're just putting in that little next step and I guess another big thing is about your mindset I mean your passion is the driving force and so it is kind it seems effortless although there is work to be done it, it is for me it's effortless because I love doing it but actually it requires a certain mindset because um, it's a very, well, what we're doing isn't writing and podcasting can be particularly lonely. So you need to create that mindset. What kind of experiences have you had to overcome? Uh, well, I'm an introvert, so lonely is not a thing <laughs> for me. <laughs> I mean, part of the reason I do this job is that I can spend a lot of time on my own. So right. um, that's why so many authors have a happy life because we just like sitting on our own with our little words and (laughs) um and because I guess for me podcasting is fine for introverts too because it's just a one-on-one conversation with someone which I can manage um but yeah if people listening if you're an introvert if you're um energized by being alone then writing is possibly the best possible job for you (laughs) um but in terms I mean in fact talking about challenges one of the biggest challenges of my previous career was that I was an IT consultant and I worked in these massive open plan offices with like 400 people um in a in an office and the I was sick all the time because of the noise and the stimulation and I didn't understand back then that being an introvert was such an important part of my personality and it was like my brain was constantly overstimulated and so I had a lot of migraines and a lot of health problems and so interestingly overcoming one of the biggest health issues in my life was solved by leaving that job and becoming a writer so I think that's a really good tip for people is this idea of knowing yourself and getting to know yourself and that is a lifetime journey for sure as you as you know but it's as I've gotten to know more about myself over the years it's leaning into who I am and who I want to be obviously I want to get better in in lots of different ways but it's going okay that that just does not suit me 
And so I'm going to do this over here instead of that. Um, like podcasting really suits me. I love audio, but I don't really do video. So I just don't do video and that's fine. Uh, so you make these choices or like, you know, like TikTok right now. TikTok is this massive thing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Just yeah. not going to do TikTok, even though everyone's like, oh, it's the biggest thing in book marketing. Well, I'm just not going to do that. So you have to make these choices over time. Um, other people will tell you you have to do something I mean in publishing it's like you have to get an agent you have to get a publisher well no you don't actually uh, you know so you have to make your own empowered choices but it, I know it's hard and in terms of the mindset you have to fix your eyes on that I guess the ultimate goal even if you don't know the ultimate goal it's that next step so I want to write my first book well then you need to maybe watch less Netflix and spend some more time writing yeah. that book um, and that's I mean that's something I see people um, talk about all the time people will always have a reason why they can't do something unless there's a, an overriding reason that they will cancel stuff and do that instead Absolutely. I mean, there's a number of things you brought up there. It's the knowing yourself, which is at the crux of my my own business with my background in psychology, because so many people do not understand themselves. And as you say, this is a journey within which uh, it is that getting to know yourself and knowing what's important to you is your driving force. And equally, putting yourself in the right environment, I always equate it, you know, with plants and things like that. It's like you can have two plants but you put them in a different environment and in one place they're going to thrive and another you, they don't like with yourself in the office um mm. with all the noise and things um I remember you had a um a guest I can't really recall her name at the moment and what I love was what she was saying about taking other people's advice and this is so much of the, the your podcast although they're specialists in certain areas there's a very generic form to the way that one can approach life with all your work, which I love. Going back to your guest, what she was saying was listen to the advice, but adapt it to yourself. Um, and that is crucial because we all work in different ways. What works for me, um, you're obviously an early morning person. I'm not. So I will do things at night. And it's, you know, people say, get up and do your work in the morning. Well, that's just me. It's never fitted. I've tried and, you know, I think I'm not very good and all the rest of it, but it's actually reassuring to hear it's actually okay to create your own rhythm. You've um, inspired me to listen to audio books now, which is fantastic. How <laughs> oh, good, good. Yeah. And in one of them, you were talking about finding a voice and, and when you start on something, you're always aiming to be like someone or you think there is a, um, a particular way that you should be delivering it. And I think over time, you become more comfortable because you know yourself to actually uh, speak from the heart, um, like with yourself, with some of your fiction books. Um, and that relates to your uh, theological background and how you integrate that with your love of travel and things. and it's actually revealing a part of yourself that sometimes to begin with, we hide ourselves. Yeah, I think, I mean, everyone always says at the beginning when you become a writer, they're like, you need to find your author voice. And yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's actually difficult. And I would say for me, it was more uncovering my voice. It's part of that uh, knowing yourself as we as we talked about. Yeah. But um, I actually wrote, so my first three novels I wrote as Joanna Penn, and I was also writing nonfiction as Joanna Penn. And then I realised after writing a couple of novels that 
my fiction voice was different to my non-fiction voice so obviously like you I'm a very uh, enthusiastic self-help person in in my sort of non-fiction sphere so as Joanna Penn I aim to bring a sort of positive creative message to the world and try and keep that sort of upbeat vibe and all of that but as um, my fiction voice is quite different and thinking about a lot of the bigger questions of life underneath action adventure thrillers for example or or dark fantasy and, and really sort of questioning good and evil and you know like deeper meaningful stuff and so I changed my fiction name to J.F. Penn uh, which is my initials uh, Joanna Francis Penn and so that actually had a really good effect on my ability to tap into my fiction voice because what I was able to do was kind of say all right so this is my Joanna Penn hat um you're interviewing Joanna Penn um uh, but then my JF Penn hat is um has a different energy has a different voice and if you um if, if you listen to me reading one of my short stories one of my fiction short stories my tone is different to the tone of reading my non-fiction for example wow, because it's, it has a different and yeah has a different energy and but this is part of knowing yourself it's not like I'm uh you know a split personality or anything it's that we <laughs> all have different facets we you know facets of our personality we're all different people to different people right you know you yep. you've got um I think you've got a picture with your grandkid on the on your website I think yeah yeah and so you're obviously different when you're being grandma than you are when you're helping coach someone into a, a new part of their life I mean we all put on different hats for different aspects of our life and in terms of finding your voice I would say to people if you're struggling sometimes using a different name even if it's like mine a variation on my name JF Penn it's not like I'm hiding myself but it, it can really free you to write in a different way to express yourself in a different way um it, you know this idea of a pseudonym this is why uh, you know actors and um, musicians and artists often will use a different handle to their real name and it, it just I don't know it has a, has an effect of freeing you from the expectations of your previous self and like what you know when I started writing I'd had 15 years as a um, business writer really writing spe mm -hmm. specifications and stuff it took me a long time to relax into writing fiction so yeah that's just a little tip for people try if you're struggling with sort of finding your uncovering your voice try writing under a different name and um, sort of seeing how that feels and then leaning into what makes that voice different didn't um um jk rowling uh, with one of her novels she used a different i can't remember the name she used now but one yes she she um she started writing as robert galbraith and you're right what happened was after harry potter she's yeah. obviously put put in a harry potter bucket that's Absolutely. like that's all you can do jk <laughs> and then she wrote um she wrote a book called the casual vacancy under yeah. jk rowling and i loved that book absolutely brilliant book but I don't like Harry Potter so what happened is she tapped into this and it's a very dark book and it's very sharp it's you know sharp wit and dark and so I was like I love this JK Rowling she's fantastic uh, but then what happened is it really got such um bad reviews because people were like this isn't Harry Potter <laughs> <laughs> and so she yep. then started writing under Robert Galbraith in order to almost start again and create another voice that she could write under. And uh, this is also another thing about gender. We don't want to get into gender politics, but it is interesting how people judge you based on your name. Um, and that might be because of 
racial characteristics or gender oh. characteristics. And so writing as a man, as Robert Galbraith, um, and I write with initials. A lot of people write with initials to avoid gender um, uh, sort of okay. judgments. Right. judgments. Um, so, yeah, when I was writing fiction as Joanna Penn, I had reviews like, I can't believe a woman would write this. And I'm like, OK, I just I just don't need that kind of comment oh. in my life. Yeah. Um, so, so moving to initials and a lot of men do this when they write in romance, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, so it's not just women as men or you know it, yeah it, it, by using a different handle you you can free yourself so yeah jk rowling did it as robert galbraith and i i highly recommend her books as robert galbraith i've actually got it but i've never for some reason i've never got round to um reading it and there's always some other book i mean my books by my bed are just piled high sort of thing and i tend to read more non-fiction so i have to be kind of in a particular zone to be reading fiction so now you've inspired me to get going on that one <laughs> <laughs> excellent <laughs> so um, going back to the business side of things, as you say, you, it was hard to transition from that side of things. But another thing I loved about, oh, I still love um, about your work is when you, because you, you, one of your books is creating a business as an author. And it's, um, again, you, a lot of your advice is very generic, but it's, you focus very much on building a sustainable evergreen business. Where did that come from? Uh, well, uh, first of all, I'd probably direct people to how to make a living with your writing, um, which is a specific, very specific around writing. Uh, in terms of the um, evergreen, so when I worked as a consultant, I was paid a daily, I was a contractor, so I was paid for the days that I worked. So yeah. what, what happens is you work a number of hours and you get paid. And I could directly see a relationship between hours worked and money coming in. If yeah. I got sick, I didn't get paid. If I wanted to take a day off, I didn't get paid. Um, and so, and if you have a, um, a, a job job and you, you're an employee, it's still the same. You have to work the hours yeah. you have to work. So what I wanted to do was have a business that was what I like to call scalable which is that you work a certain number of hours but then you keep earning money forever <laughs> yeah without having to do any more work and books are actually amazing about this so understanding intellectual property assets is a fundamental aspect of being a writer but when you're a new writer you don't really understand it it's something you can mm. learn but there's, there's a chapter in how to make a living with your writing if you're interested also on my website but um yeah so once you understand uh, what an asset is so an asset essentially you know an asset might be uh, you you buy an, uh, an investment property I know a lot of people do that in New Zealand and then you rent it out and you get income from that um, property so if you think about intellectual property it's just the same type of thing but it's not like a physical tangible yeah. thing so a book is um, intellectual property asset so I was like oh my goodness I can spend let's say I spend six months to a year because at the beginning it does take longer writing a book once that book is written, I can sell that for the rest of my life. And according to copyright law, 70 years after I die, my estate can still make money from my book. Yes. So this, when the penny dropped on this, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is revolutionary. All I need to do, all I need to do in, in inverted commas is, yeah. is write some books and then I will just make money from them for the rest of my life. Now, that has that is a partial truth, <laughs> but obviously marketing is a big part of being a writer, um, you still have to almost push the marketing, but there's ways to make that scalable. So when I talk about scalable, it's like, okay, I create something once and then it keeps earning me money. And actually this was, this was proven last year uh, when I had COVID and I was quite sick for like 
three months really I had I was quite sick I couldn't work at the level that I'm used to working and at the time I was like well I just can't do anything so I'll mm-hmm. just not do anything and the money kept coming in and it was fantastic so I can see that building um, a portfolio of intellectual property assets that earn me money and all I need to do is just give them a little push marketing push now and then it is a very good business plan but what I would say is it does take a while to build that doesn't work with one book it doesn't even necessarily work with five books you really do need um, a decent number of books uh, usually in a series or aimed at the same type of audience and Uh, But yeah, it is fantastic as a business as well as a creative endeavour. It's the sustainable part of it, I think, that's um, really appealing. And making it evergreen, um, where did the evergreen aspect come from? Well, the evergreen is an important part of Scalable. Let's say you want to write a book on Facebook advertising. This is a classic example of not evergreen because Facebook changed their layout every five minutes. And so if you write a book, if you, if you write a book on Facebook advertising, you're going to have to rewrite that next week. Yep. If you do a course on Facebook advertising, you're going to have to re-record that course. Or even like in your um, Waste Not Want Not in the ecology section, if you did um, a course on the latest composting technology or something like that, you, yep. that's the type of thing that changes. Like those mm. things change and there are better things coming along that people can do. So what when we're talking about evergreen in terms of a scalable business, you have to think, okay, so ecological principles or the mindset of um, an ecologist or you know I know you like the ocean um, it, 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 there are things that you can write or create that are evergreen as in you don't have to keep updating them every five minutes Absolutely. Um, that's the key and I recognize that when I think when I wrote the successful author mindset I realized that that book would not have to be updated now I probably will update it at some point because we all change it's only had one edition so far uh, whereas my how to make a living with your writing as we record this in early 2021 that's on its third edition and I can see that with web3 and blockchain and all that I'm going to have to rewrite that again within the next couple of years and so on the one sense if you create courses or books or products that are not evergreen they are partially scalable but you're going to have to redo them so the income from those things are going to drop off and this is why fiction is such an amazing thing right because mm. fiction will of- often make you less money per book at the beginning so you'll be like okay I can make more money by writing a book on how to recycle because people want that right now so I, I know I can do that but I'm going to have to rewrite that in a couple of years if I work on a series of Um, mystery novels for example then I could keep selling those for the rest of my life Um, look at Agatha Christie for goodness sake I mean obviously she's Agatha Christie but novels do date a little bit but people will forgive that whereas with non-fiction you're a non-fiction reader you want the latest knowledge you're like give me whatever the latest knowledge is and if a book is older then you read it if it's um, an evergreen topic but not if it's about something that you know you want the latest knowledge on um, you know I'm reading a, a book right now on genetics and CRISPR and gene editing and all this I and the book has just come out this week and I'll read it this week and it's already out of date because things move on uh, a pace so those two concepts scalable and evergreen the trick is to <laughs> get uh, to have a scalable business based on evergreen products and books and 
whatever. And then you can truly continue to make money. And just, you know, just to come back on like coaching, for example, I know you do coaching, that is not scalable. So it is every time you coach someone, you get paid for that yeah. time and you'll never have that time back. And um, that's absolutely a calling for some people. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of business. But what I advise coaches is to think about, well, maybe you can write a book that is an evergreen companion to your work so that you don't have to do so many hours in coaching and that is what I'm um, still in the process of doing um, but I'm sure the universe has delivered me lots of challenges and um, one of the most important one is um, my being able to walk my talk so although it's coming from the heart and there's a lot of knowing it's actually that knowing that I'm really doing it, that I, I'm writing with conviction now um, as mm. opposed to with, with theory. And also, as you were talking about the evergreen aspect of things, it does take time. And in November last year, I did my first online course um, because it is very tiring um, doing the one-on-one. And much as I love it, um, and this is the whole purpose behind writing my book and doing the podcast you know sometimes you 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 come across books that were written in the early 1900s and they're more prevalent today than they were when they were first written that's the kind of non-fiction book that I really love it's very hard it is hard to set out to write a classic though (laughs) I mean you I had no no, um, ideas of grandeur or anything like that (laughs) it is good to think about um what when you're writing your own book, it is good to think about, well, what will make this something that I don't have to rewrite? For example, even just a trick of, um, you know, if you want to include a list of uh, resources about some technologies or mm-hmm. when I say technologies I mean you know talking about the ocean for example there, there's all this development with um, different organisms that can eat oil and you know this time you know there's things technologies that are happening in every single sphere yep. that will hopefully change things for for a lot better and but as they change you, you don't want to have to update a book but what you can do is say if you would like you know I've got a list of resources on my website and then in the book you just direct people to your website and on the website then you can keep the website updated rather than have to redo the book every time so I think that's that's a bit of a tip um, for people with non-fiction is just to really consider when will I have to rewrite this um, because of whatever reason and how can I make it so that doesn't happen as often as possible because this is the thing we think oh yeah no that's fine I'll just do that in a couple of years and then how fast does time fly and you're like and I'm looking at um one of my books like how to market um which is also on its third edition and again I should probably win and I'm like I really don't want to do that (laughs) but the option is I either retire that book completely or I do another edition. So you have to make those choices around your business. And look, the challenges never stop, as you know. <laughs> there yeah. are always new challenges. And I think, again, um, this is where um, self-publishing um, indie authors come into their own because you can do a, um, a digital version of your book that you can update, whereas if you're going the traditional route, it takes a lot longer from when you sign that contract to actually when the book comes out. So you need to be thinking about it even more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Is there a person or a book that has really influenced you um, throughout your life? Um, And in what way have they? Oh, so many. Uh, Obviously, I'm I'm a big reader. I probably read three to five books a week um, and listen to audiobooks. And, uh, you know, I I 
absolutely prioritize reading as part of my daily life yeah. uh, so it's very hard to pick one um, what a book I would definitely recommend to people if you're interested in being a writer is uh, Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield the idea of turning pro can apply to anything so it could apply to you know being an ecologist for example or whatever you decide to do but in Pressfield's book you know he really just talks about when you turn pro life becomes much more simple you can turn pro in your mind before you turn pro financially it's definitely a mindset as well isn't it yeah it is and you basically say and what I did um in that contracting job uh, I was in Australia at the time when I really made the decision and I was like right I am not going to follow the uh, career track anymore I'm opting out of this career I will do the job while I build up my other career but I'm opting out of the career I'm going to turn pro as a writer and once you do that once you understand your priorities in life and you're like okay my I've turned pro in this direction so that's what I do and then it just helps you make decisions because you can say well I don't do that I do this and yeah I, I will work the hours I have to work but I won't work any extra hours I'm spending my extra hours on what I'm building for the future yeah, so Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield, it will challenge you for sure. Cool. And, and again, that, that brings up the, you know, making a personal commitment and um, creating your own legacy. So do you have a legacy yourself that you've created? Well, I think I've always said with my nonfiction work that my goal is to empower or release like um, uh, a million books in the world. So I when I started, I was like, I want to empower writers to be creative enough and empowered enough to put their books in the world and over the years they put me in their acknowledgements and in their <laughs> dedications and um so I, I lost count of how many books I might have inspired but for me um you know we all have to pick our battles and I really believe that people's creativity is what's going to solve the problems of the world so for example I'm very positive about the future of the planet because I absolutely believe in people's creativity given the resources people will solve these problems people are amazing and so many clever people are trying to solve these problems so but for me my little part of it is I want to empower people to write their books and each in an area that I could never touch myself so I guess my legacy is just helping other people write the books that change the world <laughs> I'm sure you have um down days so what do you do to actually energize yourself when you are in a funk I go for a lot of walks. I will be um, walking as soon as we're finished here. I'll be out in the world, walking along the canal where I'm near where I live. So, yeah, for me, um, I definitely need to be out every day um, in the world, which was why when I came to New Zealand, it was one of the hardest periods of my life to be shut in quarantine for 10 days. Like, seriously. And it's so interesting. I learned a lot about mental health issues in that time because I could not get out in the world and touch the earth and you know like you've talked about water is the ocean is important for you and to be denied that was incredibly difficult so yeah however I'm feeling going outside in nature is it's super important so do you have a favorite quote at all uh yep my quote and it's on the wall it is this too shall pass yay <laughs> and it is one of those uh, I think it's one of those very ancient quotes and it's a, just a reminder that you know and uh, during Covid I had it I plastered it on the wall you know when I was suffering from Covid myself but also during the lockdowns and um, even in that quarantine in New Zealand and it, it's like this too shall pass 
for the bad times, but also this too shall pass for the good times. So you have to uh, make the most of the good times and enjoy the, the periods when you can enjoy that um, because life is just a series of things that will pass and acknowledging our mortality to me is very empowering. And, um, you know, how we can make the most of this short life is just it's why we're here, basically. Absolutely. So if there was one thing you could affect change in the world, what would it be and why? Well, I think it's what I said about legacy. I mean, you, you asked about that. I think for me, I would empower everyone's individual creativity and give people the resources they need to be creative in their lives I think so much of our education system and and the world crushes people's creativity and what we need is if everyone could release whatever that is for me it's writing for for different people it's different things what what creativity is inventing stuff and um, you know changing their area of of the world Uh, if we could release people's creativity then that's what I would do I call it taking the handbrake off at yeah. the moment, I feel like, you know, and maybe this is just in older cars, you know, like with the manual handbrake. <laughs> if you have, I learned in one of those. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you have the manual handbrake. Um, and it's like uh, if when the handbrake's on, you can t- in those older ca- cars, you can technically drive in them. And but because you don't get any alarms or anything, but it's really hard to drive with the handbrake on. So it's like if you once you release the handbrake, you can really achieve a lot more and go faster and I feel like most people who aren't following their creativity they have the handbrake on so that would be what I would change is if everyone could take the handbrake off and 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 then we could all change the world and um yeah that's that's kind of why I keep doing what I do is try and empower authors in particular to get their books out there fantastic fantastic well Thank you so much for your time, Joanne. It's really appreciated. And I hope the sun is out that side of the world <laughs> for you, you. And you have a lovely, lovely walk. Oh, thanks so much for having me, fellow. You're welcome. You're welcome. Take care. Bye. Bye. I'm sure Joanna will have read the book that I'm currently reading by Anne Lamott published in 1994 called Bird by Bird and I just have to share an excerpt with you as it humorously summarises the need to get out of our own way and just get on with doing a small amount each day. I hope you enjoy hearing it as much as I did when I first read it. Life is like a recycling centre where all concerns and dramas of humankind get recycled back and forth across the universe. But what you have to offer is your own sensibility, maybe your own sense of humour or insider pathos or meaning. All of us can sing the same song and there will still be four billion different renditions. Some people will sing it spontaneously with a lot of soulful riffs while others are going to practice until they could sing it at the Met. Either way, everything we need in order to tell our stories in a reasonable and exciting way already exists in each of us. Everything you need is in your head and memories in all that your senses provide in all that you've seen and thought and absorbed. There in your unconscious where the real creation goes on is the little kid or the Dr. Zeus creature in the cellar arranging and stitching things together. When this being is ready to hand things up to you to give you a paragraph or a sudden move one character makes that will change the whole course of your novel you'll be entrusted with it. So in the meantime, while the tailor is working, you might as well go out and get some fresh air. Do your 300 words and then go for a walk. Otherwise you want to sit there and try to contribute and this will only get in the way. 
Your unconscious can't work when you're breathing down its neck. You'll sit there going, are you done in there yet? But it's trying to tell you nicely, shut up and go away. On the subject of going away, my guests next week are Ruth Boyce and Dave Knight from Junk Run in Auckland, who are doing things differently and making a massive impact on the volume of stuff that would ordinarily end up in landfill. So until then, dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential.